Welcome to the Fret Dojo Podcast, the place where pro guitar players share their secrets. Visit www.fretdojo.com to access online courses and free resources to take your guitar playing to the next level. Hello and welcome. My name is Greg O'Rourke. Welcome once again to another Fret Dojo podcast. Fantastic to have all our listeners join us today. And today I'm joined today by my assistant instructor, Vin Amarando. But today we have a very special guest on this podcast, Barry Green. Welcome to the show, Barry. Thank you. Nice to be here. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's get started. Just, just so you guys um, get a bit of a sense of Barry's accomplishments as a jazz guitarist and jazz guitar teacher over the years, here's a, here's a bit about uh, Barry's illustrious career. So Barry's been described by jazz guitar legend Pat Martino as one of the best, not only as a player, but also as a writer and teacher. I agree with others who regard him as a world-class musician. Well, there you go. That's pretty high praise, I have to say, from, <laughs> yeah. from one of the one of the grandfathers of jazz guitar. Uh, but uh, Barry got his start on the guitar at age 10 when he was into the Beatles, later Led Zeppelin, before discovering jazz in high school. Barry attended the Berklee College of Music and William Patterson University in New Jersey, where he received his bachelor degree and later attended the University of South Florida for his graduate studies. Barry's played all over the United States and Europe. He has eight CDs out under his name. He's played with a who's who of guitar greats. Jimmy Bruno, Tommy Emmanuel, oh, another Aussie, fantastic. Mike Stern, Jack <laughs> Peterson, and many, many more. Uh, so Barry's been a professor of jazz studies at the University of North Florida School of Music since 1995. He's also authored several interactive iBooks, including Playing Jazz Guitar, Chord Melodies, and Intros and Endings, all available on his website, barrygreen.com. And uh, Vin and I feel very privileged and thrilled to have you on the podcast today. So thank you, Barry. And um, yeah, let's, let's get started with a few questions just about uh, where it all started for you. So you know you mentioned you came across jazz guitar uh during school so so do you want to elaborate a bit upon that and kind of where your journey went from there um well i think like a lot of people growing up in the 1970s especially guitarists you know gravitated toward people that you mentioned you know it was more honestly more led zeppelin and aerosmith and those kind of uh groups in the 1970s it was such guitar laden great just so much fun music and i had you know, I had a Fender Strat, I had a Les Paul, I had a Marshall Stack, and I had a, a garage in New Jersey that we used to practice. And um, so, yeah, it was it was it was great. I, I grew to love uh, that part of, I mean, that kind of music and the uh, excitement for playing for other people. But it got to a point where um, I was getting ready to almost graduate high school. I did graduate high school. What I'm saying is that I found myself spending a lot of time not going to school, and my mother laid down the law that if you don't get serious about something we're going to kick you out of the house and um you know a, a mother from new jersey when she said that she really meant business but in any case so i got a guitar teacher in my junior year of high school who introduced me to jazz and um introduced me to some of the people you mentioned like pat martino for instance and george benson joe pass and i was completely just absolutely blown away i had no idea that anybody could play the guitar at that kind of a level and just became obsessed with trying to gain that level of mastery myself. 
Mm, mm. Let's talk about how, how you got to where you are now. You know, like, you know, one of the most highly acclaimed jazz guitar teachers, you've got a huge profile, you're teaching at prestigious university and so forth. So well, what do you think are the elements that have made you exceptional? Like who, who's, what, what are your influence, like influences or, or what, what are the main things that you're focused on? Well, I mean, just as far as the players themselves, like, I already kind of riled them off, you know, um, from, you know, hearing guys like, you know, both the Pabs, I say Pat Martino, Pat Metheny as well, George Benson, Joe Pass, all those, Wes Montgomery, of course, Grant Green, the long, long list um, inspired me. But I think, you know, uh, like, like anything, when you have a desire to do something and you just give it everything that you have to, to try to be the best you can be at it, you know, as a, I remember being 18 or 19 years old and transcribing these solos off of recordings by Charlie Parker and Joe, John Coltrane and, and absorbing all this information. And I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm 18. By the time I'm 25, I'm going to be this level. And by the time I'm 30 and always gauging myself to the guitar players and musicians I was admiring. And, you know, here I am 62 and I'm still, I'm still doing the same thing, you know, but, but that, that was it. It was just an incredible drive and desire to do it. But, and a pure love for it. It wasn't just uh, some obsession. It was a pure love. And I, I feel that way still today. So you kind of, you, you had that sort of vision as to where you wanted to go. You know, it sounds like you had a lot of clarity as to where the, the kind of where you're aspiring to. Yeah, I think, you know, I didn't ever expect to be, you know, a professor of jazz studies at the University of North Florida. That was definitely not on my, you know, game plan at all. At all. It really was just to try to be the best guitar player that ever lived. That was, that was pretty much it. I really, really worked hard. And then, you know, just like anything, you know, when you, you're playing a lot, you're teaching a lot, you're meeting people, you're genuine and you're honest and you're just, a, you give off a good energy. Stuff just starts coming your way. I'm, I'm not making light of it. It takes a tremendous amount of work and effort, but if you can back it up by the fact that you are a, an accomplished musician and, and uh, can add something to a musical uh, situation, like I said, the phone just just rings for you and things just start mm -hmm. happening. Because like I said, the last thing I expected was to be a professor of jazz studies, that's for sure. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So, uh, Vin, you had a question you, you wanted to ask uh, Barry about, um, you know, uh, George Benson. You, you know, do, do, do you want to well, um, elaborate yeah, on that? Because um, he had just mentioned it. Uh, in passing, but I was reading uh, in an interview, I don't remember the publication, it could have been Jazz Guitar, one of those, uh, where you had actually cited George Benson as maybe the most, the most influential. Did did I read that right? Like, if you well, had you know, to pick there, one guy well, that was your big inspiration. I think George Benson um, just personifies everything great about jazz guitar. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that He's number one or number two in that long list because how could you really say that about, you know, when you're citing Wes Montgomery, George Benson, Pat Martino, they all have an incredible impact on, on jazz guitarists. There's not a guitar player alive today that can say that they haven't been influenced by those people. Um, but I think George just has everything. You know, he's got insane uh, chops, insane time feel, phrasing, sound, vibe. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. And, and as a young person, I, I'd always thought if I can get the um, line playing, that execution of that line that Pat Martino had with all of the grace and soulfulness that George Benson has, you know, you would, you would just have to like the perfect guitar player, you know? But so that, yeah, when I say that, I, I do I do mean that. I mean, he, he is an astonishingly great guitar player. And every time I 
you know, hear him come on some playlist and I can listen to Apple music and it's something I hadn't heard in a while. I think to myself, oh my God, man, there's nobody who's touching this guy. You know, it's just truly remarkable. So Barry, let's talk now about the, you as a teacher, you know, the important things that you find yourself time and time again, talking to your students about, you know, I'm sh you've, you've come across jazz guitar students of all shapes and sizes. Uh, but you know, like, let's, let's start maybe from the beginner. If someone was starting from scratch, what would you say would be the logical progression of exercises or fretboard knowledge or things like that? Like what, what are the building blocks that you tend to focus on in your teaching? Uh, well, um, you know, because of what I do, I'm usually meeting students that are already been playing for quite a while. Oh, okay. People are coming into the college level and, and the people that I teach online, you know, via Skype or, or even Zoom like this are even in an older age bracket. But mm. if I were to, you know, go back in time and to be able to counsel myself, you know, how I would do things differently, there'd be a few things I would do a little bit differently. The most important thing is what we've already been talking about is that you have to be able to um, connect with some musician that you just feel like, man, I would just love to be able to play like this person. I'm not, I'm talking about copying or emulating them to, to the letter, just to say that when I hear this person, I, it's just moved me beyond, beyond words. I just want to be able to do that. And identifying, you know, two or three people like that, that you could just focus on. I think where the issue lies, especially today with so much information, whether it's a college or YouTube, or even what we're doing right now, um, that people get way too caught up in the whole theoretical part of being mm. a musician. And it's, I don't, you know, I can't say this for certain. And I've had this conversation many, many times that I can't imagine, you know, the people that we're speaking about sitting around talking about, you know, the Dorian mode. I just can't, I don't see it. Even, even in my own experience, like, you know, you mentioned some bunch of guitar players. I've hung out with all the people you've mentioned and had conversations we've never, ever talked about that stuff we, we would say hey have you checked out this guy have you checked out that guy mm -hmm. oh yeah that was killing that was but it's never about the specifics of theory because it has very little to do with the uh actual um playing of this music the analogy i'll give and maybe it may be something you've heard already but the way i think about it music in general and learning how to be a good jazz musician is that by the time we're you know five or six years old going to grade school I don't know what it's like, you know, in Australia, for instance, but, you know, in the United States, five years old, you're going to kindergarten, you have complete command of the language, you know how to speak, you know how to ask for what you need, you can communicate without the need for verbs and adverbs and all the things that we learn, learn about later on when we do go to school. And that's the way I think about it. I think it's a matter of just uh, learning phrases from these great musicians that you admire. That's what I was saying earlier. And yeah, yeah, later on, you could say, oh, yeah, Pat Martino used an G minor arpeggio or Joe Pass is using this voicing for a minor seven flat five chord. That, that's all fine. But even using his Joe Pass as an example, I know for certain that he knew very little technically about what he was doing as far as the theoretical part of it. There's even a VHS tape, an old, I think it was called Hot Licks or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember him um, <laughs> so watching him talking about playing a G blues. I don't have my guitar all hooked up. So I'll just, I'll just say that he got to one chord and said, this is an F13 chord then another chord. And he was like, I don't even know what this chord is called. And then went to the next one. And it was a clear indication that that was so low on the uh, totem pole for him as far as things that are important. So to, to answer your question, I think where a lot of students not necessarily go wrong but kind of get misguided on is getting so consumed by the theoretical thing and, and I, I can't tell you how many emails i get maybe not daily but very often 
what scale are you using after playing an entire tune that contains so much harmony to, to think that it could be whittled down to just one scale, you know? But it's always that. It's not about, man, who did you check out? Or, uh, you know, where are you getting those lines from? That kind of thing. It's just always about theory, 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 theory. And that, that concerns me, you know, a, a bunch. So, I, you know, again, to answer your question, I would say, number one, identify with people that you admire. Learn solos off the records, note for note. You don't have to write them out, but just memorize them, play along with the recordings, because that builds up such a sense of time feel and groove and all the other things that go with just being a musician that you can't get from a book. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to study the theoretical part of things, go ahead and do it. But I, I definitely will put that you know, further down the rung of things that are, uh, that are important. Mm. Um, if, you know, if you ask me more questions about it, I can get more technical, not technical, but more specific about things. But to me, that in a global sense, that's the biggest issue. It's too, mm. too much theory, not enough just playing and making music, you know? Yeah, it seems so. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, I, you know, I've, I've gone through a bunch of different styles uh, over my career. You know, like I started, um, uh, I focused a lot on classical guitar initially. Um, and, you know, something that seems quite particular to jazz, you know, maybe jazz guitar. I don't know if it's like that with other instruments, but it just seems like with the with jazz guitar, there's yeah, as you say, there's it's just so much textbook focused uh, uh, sort of learning or, or, or emphasis. Uh, it, it reminds me a bit, you know, of that that old kind of. Uh, there's an old parable where it's like, okay, I can I can talk about an orange, you know, like an orange is is this like sort of nice bright color and it tastes sweet and it's kind of you, you know like like it's juicy or whatever. But it's only actually when you bite the orange then it all makes sense, you know what I mean? Otherwise you're just kind of talking right. about this thing the whole time rather than actually getting in it's there true. and doing it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, it seems so simple. You know, we're you're talking about it, but somehow that message is is, is lost now, and I think it's just. Not that there's too much information because a lot of stuff I see on YouTube is great. And the, and my God, the uh, level of musicianship of musicians all over the world right now is just at an all time like high. It's incredible. But all I could say to you is, you know, again, you know, for instance, in a couple of weeks, going to Colorado and Jimmy Bruno will be there, Ed Cherry, Rodney Jones, Pascual Grasso, all these great guitar players. We're all going to be hanging out. I can guarantee you that theory will never be the topic of conversation ever. And that's all I'm trying to say about this. It's just that uh, it's more of a mentorship with the recordings, at least for everybody that I've known has got through that process and just basically mentoring through recordings and uh, just developing their own style from, from that. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, cause, cause you, cause you have, <laughs> have um, sort of an online learning platform. Is that kind of your emphasis of what you do when you're, when you're teaching, uh, like focusing on sort of transcriptions and kind of going through those, like, like what's, what's your process? In I do, I do make that case a lot. I do, but on the same, on the same token, you know, you know, of course, being a professor at a university for, you know, almost 30 years now, if I were to take that approach that we've just been talking about, I wouldn't have a job because honestly, <laughs> what I would love to do is walk. In, <laughs> I'm serious. If I would walk into an improv class, I would, what I would love to say is here are four transcriptions. I want you guys to transcribe, memorize, and then come back in two months and we'll, we'll work it all out. Because then you've absorbed the material. You, um, by osmosis picked up the time, feel and the sound and vibe and all that kind of stuff. And then I could say, Hey, you know, here they use a diminished scale. This comes from the second mode of this scale, and all that, you know, whatever it may be. But it's secondary, more more uh, supportive versus the primary way of uh, learning. So yeah, when I'm teaching the lessons online, there's a lot of talk of theory, but I'm 
I'm constantly reinforcing the idea that, you know, people will say, hey, where are those lines? Where's all those lines coming from? Because I'll say, hey, here's G. Dorian. I should have had my guitar all set up to play. But if I said, here's G. Dorian, play G. Dorian, it's going to contain a lot of chromaticism, enclosures, all these kind of things that jazz musicians routinely did. So when people ask me, well, that's not the Dorian scale. I said, yeah, it is the sound of Dorian. It's just incorporating the, uh, you know, methods and uh, things that jazz musicians just did with that singular scale there. And mm -hmm. we've, like mm -hmm. I said, I even gave the names, I even like using those names, like enclosure and all those names. Cause I generally don't think that that's the way that guys like Charlie Parker thought about it. I could be totally wrong. I really, really, of course I could, but I just don't feel that that was the kind of way that they approached it. You know, I think it was more of a building these melodies and, you know, somebody like Charlie Parker, for instance, understanding and recognizing those colorful tones that are above the seventh of the chord mm -hmm. and all that tension that could be, I just, like I said, I don't think it came from such an analytical thing as that's become right now. But as a teacher for almost 30 years, to me, that's the biggest, the biggest issue. And I'll, I'll say one more thing about it. And I can tell you that nine times out of 10, like when somebody will make a, an appointment to meet on Skype or whatever, it's always that, that they have like a stack of books, some of them my, my own, I'm even telling them to put the books away, <laughs> you know, that we just need to get down to the, like I said, the musical part, part of this, you know, there's they probably could speak about the theory better than I could at that point. You know, you know what I mean? It's just, that's the part that's lost is how do you turn all that information that you've absorbed from the books into art? That's, that's really it. Mm. It's the biggest mm. thing. And you look at a guy like, for instance, Wes Montgomery, to me, he was, you know, the absolute godfather of all this, where just, when you even look at him, he's got this big smile on his face every time he's playing and is full of joy. There's no way in his head he's thinking about, you know, with harmonic minor anything. He just, I guarantee you, that, that I would actually bet my, my soul yeah. on for sure. I mean, you could just feel it from him, you know, it's just so natural. So, anyway, if I keep yeah. on coming to the same point, I apologize. No, no, man. But I'm passionate about that. I think it really needs to be emphasized a few times because, you know, there, it was interesting. We recently um, had a chat to Cheryl Bailey, uh, another f fantastic uh, jazz player and teacher. But she was very much saying the same sort of thing, you know, like, like when you're when you're like when I'm speaking to you right now, I'm not particularly concerned with adverbs or nouns or, or things like that. It's probably helpful in some corner of your learning to to maybe sort of just understand the structures, um, especially if you're going to compose music and things like that. There might be some good tools there, but you know, like I think, yeah, jazz is very much as you're saying. It's a heartfelt thing. It's kind of goes into the subconscious, and that's where the great music happens. Is when you've really internalized in a very um, intuitive way this music. Uh, rather than being worried about what scale you have to play next. Like that's kind of going around things the wrong way, as you're saying. Right. It's just, yeah, that's it. You said it, you put it perfectly. That's exactly it. That's exactly mm -hmm. it. But it's hard, to, it's hard to convince people of that because the one thing that we haven't talked about is that, you know, some people will say that, you know, in other words, the thought of me being an NBA basketball player is totally out of the question. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just, I'm not athletic. You know what I'm saying? But there's, there's a conversation about can every, can anybody do this? You know, in other words, I've gotten this conversation a bunch online with people that, you know, well, look, if all it took were you knowing all your modes and scales and have a bunch of chops, then you could be a great jazz musician. Why isn't there another, hasn't been there another West Montgomery? You know, because it's not, it's not about that. It's about the things that are intangible, you know? So, it's a, it's a big message to send, but when you, I understand that when people are getting started, we're, you know, you, it's hard to find yourself in that kind of a headspace when you're looking at an instrument and just trying to figure out how to play it. It's mm -hmm. going to be very mechanical. 
And I think the scales and all the stuff we're talking about for on, uh, for that purpose are perfect. You know, you're getting, you know, under, an understanding of your instrument and how it's functioning, all that kind of stuff. But to, when you cross that barrier, which is the biggest barrier that for every student that I've ever met is that moment where, okay, I understand how this machine works and I, I, I know how to play it. I know my chords, I know my scales. Why can't I play a great guitar solo, you know, in autumn leaves or something like that. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the biggest hurdle. But I think the answer is what we've just been talking about is you almost have to put all that stuff away and turn the page to a whole new chapter in the way you approach music in, gen in general. Okay. Well, Barry, I got, a, I've got a question for you. Let's assume that there was, um, outside of the jazz world, somebody who, who isn't known as a jazz guitarist, are there any other guitarists in any genre that you love to listen to, gives you inspiration, maybe new ideas that you, you know, like might not have gotten if you had, you know, had stayed only in the jazz world when you're listening for new artists? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could cite a couple, you know, two or three people that come to mind immediately. And it would be for the same reason, though, I'll have to say, for the jazz guys, because it's, you know, if I think about, for instance, somebody like Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, I think, you know, just all the passion and just such, it's so honest. That's, that's, what, that's what I've been trying to get to the entire time we've been speaking. It's just so honest. It's, it surpasses all the stuff. You know, obviously, he could play the crap out of the blues scale. We know that he learned the blues scale. But man, what he did with that and just the pure energy and vibe and time feel and another guy i admire a lot is uh steve lukather who uh you know the studio guy from you know um the band toto who's uh, been on like zillions of records uh just his mus musicality and just the his ability to um it's a very difficult thing to do by the way what i'm about to say is just to be in a studio and for somebody to say hey i need you to come up with a part right now for this particular piece of music and just come up with these just just such memorable pieces of music on, on the guitar that um, in some cases are like in the background, but if you took them out, the the entire you know arrangement would fall apart. So there's a lot of people I think like like that. I, I can't cite necessarily somebody, you know, that's blowing my mind other than, you know, the jazz guitar players we've talked about, but I'm just saying the musicianship from those guys in, in particular, those who come to mind immediately, and I'll probably regret that and think that I missed some people after we stopped talking, but but like I said, what I want to emphasize is for the same exact reasons that I love, you know, George and Pat and Joe Pass and all those guys. It was just very honest and it surpassed. It just, I'm trying to think of the, the other word. It just went above and beyond just all the thought and theory and all that kind of stuff. I know it's the same old thing I've been saying a lot. But yeah, I think when I hear Stevie Ray Vaughan, I'm like, damn, man, this guy. This is such a natural musician. Prince, I feel the same way about Prince. We sit here, I'm doing all these names are going to come in to my head but yeah, another one just a true musical just master you know just anyway like i said i can i'll probably think of other names but hopefully that uh, is a good enough answer for you I, <laughs> yeah do you guys you do you, you know what i'm talking about when i say steve lukather lukather oh yeah oh yeah yeah i was yeah, a big total fan badass, man. yeah i actually um yeah when i was I was at Berkeley um, uh, on campus. I actually started on campus in the 90s, and then I finished online much later. But when I was there in the 90s, I remember uh, Toto came by and played at the Paradise Club. It was like the big rock club in the place. And it's funny because it, it was a pretty big like, rock club. Might hold maybe like a thousand, maybe 1,500. It was a big club. All of Berkeley was there for, for Toto, right. even though they're not, at, you know, and yet Berkeley was known as like a jazz school. 
but I think they all felt yeah. the same way you did. They were just such high caliber players, you know. Um, yeah. It's like half the school was there to see the rock band Toto. Yeah, Steve is just just one of a kind for sure. You know, and, and I don't know if we're still recording, but you know, of course, Eddie Van Halen too is another one. You know, the, for this, all the same reasons, I'd be saying the same thing about everybody that I would cite. But those names came to my mind for whatever reason right away. Like I said, I'll probably regret it later and think I should have come up with this other name. But um, yeah, not oh, perfect. Just giants, right? Man, Eddie Van Halen. Oh my God, man. Yeah. Anyway, all right. He's the reason God. why I play now. Thirty God. years later. <laughs> yeah, it was all because of Eddie. Yep. It was Eddie? Oh, yeah. 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 My yeah, room I mean, was like a shrine were, I, I to was, Van Halen. I was in Berkeley. At... <laughs> That's funny. Because I went to Berkeley in 1970, 1979. And, yeah, I mean, then, it, of course, it was like a jazz school. But I think there were almost a 1,000 guitar. I'm not exaggerating. That was a number that was thrown at me. You know, there were a 1,000 guitar players at Berkeley uh, in 1979. But there was this definite war between the jazz guitar players and the rock players because she would go into a practice room and there'd be like a, you know, a cartoon of a jazz guitar player and there'd be a cartoon of a rock guitar player. But the greatest day ever was there was a bar right across the street from the main entrance of Berkeley and they had painted it just white. I don't know why they did this. The wall was bright white and within a, I don't know how long it was, but in red letters, it said rock took a shit and jazz came out. <laughs> it, stayed on that wall. it stayed on the wall. It was out there for like a month. Nobody even bought it. Just, you know, paint over it. It was just, it was just insane times. Man. But Steve Steve Vai was there when I was there. It's another one. You know, Steve oh, yeah. Vai was, uh, you know, at uh, Berkeley at that time. Yeah, but but anyway, I think you know what to sum it all up. I don't know if it's still recording. I know you're not going to use that last bit, but um, just to say that. Everybody that we love, whether it's classical, jazz, rock, blues, funk, whatever. It's just the, the people that rise to the top have this quality we're talking about. Just this, 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 just this incredible way of just being able to bring the emotional component of being a musician to the forefront always and never get caught up in the technical part of things. That's it. So we have, we've sort of touched a lot on, you know, you know, really going to that heart level of the music, you know, the value of kind of internalizing transcriptions. Uh, aside from those things, are there kind of any other general concepts you tend to find yourself teaching your students like uh, that, that as a maybe a, a um, in parallel to, to that kind of main idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, over the years, I've been playing the guitar for almost, well, more than 50 years at this point. So, yeah, there are some things that I really believe in uh, that I've stumbled on. All I'm saying is that if you were to take a tune like Stella by Starlight, or, in, or in each, like I said, Autumn Leaves, to say that, okay, well, I'm going to play a C minor 7 chord, which is the first chord on the lowest part of the guitar that I can, and go through the entire tune, like C minor 7, F7, B flat major 7, E flat major 7, A minor 7 flat 5. D7 sharp nine G minor D7 and get what I'm doing here is by forcing myself to play in position I'm developing this extraordinary amount of fretboard knowledge because I'm not having to say well I only know this chord here or that chord there it's the same thing with the sound of the scales C minor replace C Dorian for F7 I'll play actually the same kind of thing E flat major seven. You get the idea. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, some of that is audible. But going up and up and down the guitar neck like that, where 
you attack it position by position by position. And I think of it in terms of five positions, mm -hmm. you know, that you would walk up the neck. So if I could play all the chord forms and not, not just chord forms, good ones, mm -hmm. um, and all of the uh, associated uh, chord scales up the entire neck, that means that I could be anywhere in the neck and anything that I'm hearing is gonna be available to me because of that command of the instrument. So that's that's one thing that I've discovered that all, all, although it sounds restrictive, you know, by putting yourself in this little box like I just demonstrated, it's one of the best things you could do to determine how much chord scale, I mean, to, to how much fretboard knowledge you have. Because the moment you say, I don't know how to do that here, there's your first red flag that, okay, uh, here's okay. something I need to work on. I think, Barry, that's really, um, really insightful. I liked how you, I really liked how you said that then the red flag, you know, like it is a big one, isn't it? Because if you, uh, and maybe that's where people get a bit stuck because they haven't figured out a, their positions to really know when they put a note on the guitar, what it's going to sound like. And so until you kind of really get to that point, it's hard to play intuitively. So maybe they say, oh, the, the answer is to fall back and, you know, I've got to know the scales. But what you really have to know is the fretboard and the structure of the instrument, you, you know, the mechanics of it. And maybe, maybe that's where scales, arpeggios, position playing can really, um, you know, that that's, that's, that's the real purpose of that. Maybe not so much to understand how to be creative, but more just understand how to use the machine, you know? <laughs> that's right. You said that's exactly right. You know, when you mentioned that too, you know, we talked about George Benson, of course, a bunch today, but, um, you know, the fact that he sings his solos so naturally, you know, it's just such a strong indicator that everything is coming from the right place for him. You know, that, uh, I've had, I've heard musicians that I've had in the past kind of singing during guitar lessons. And I would say, you're not even singing the notes that you're playing. All you're doing is just, it's very distracting to me. And then I could say, why don't you play me Mary Had a Little Lamp? You know, play me Mary Had a Little Lamp. And they can't. They say, can you sing it? I, said, I mean, it, so there's the evidence right there, just to say that. By the way, also, I consider a great exercise for doing what we're talking about is to get more intuitive about your playing, is to free yourself from all the scales and the chords and things like that, and to just take little nursery rhymes and things like that and just try to play them on your guitar without thinking about scales and chords. And even the, the uh, guitar uh, teacher, Mick Goodrick from Berkeley, who I'd never had any kind of interaction with, but he... Uh, had some great ideas along those lines where to try to play a song like that or, you know, some patriotic song or whatever it may be on one or two strings and limit yourself to that because then that breaks you free of the position playing that you're accustomed to with scales and really forces you to, to rely on your ears. And it's, mm -hmm. I think those kind of exercises are really, really great for you to, to break that, like we're talking about, that bridge from I understand theory. How do I become a musician? You know, those are the kind of things that I think really help that. Yeah, it reminds me of a, uh, there's actually a YouTube video, I think, I don't know if it's still on YouTube, but of Barney Kessel, uh, like a quite a long workshop that, that he, the workshop video, and it's all black and white. It's quite old, but he, um, uh, he, he was very much, the, one, that's one of the first things he said, you know, like, uh, this is all about melodies, you know, like, like, just, just think of a common melody, you know, try to work it out on the instrument you, you know like that 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 was like his very first lesson i remember on, on that tutorial he gave so yeah quite interesting you brought and, and that up and it's super insightful you know on, on his part because you know we you know we mentioned the tune seller by starlight kind of in passing that song has so much harmony in it so many chord uh pro progressions so many you know chords that you have to refer to different keys and analyze it's deep but when you look at the melody, there's only a couple of moments where it's not a it's not a diatonic tone that belongs to key of B flat. 
it's a beautiful melody. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that really, well, you know, makes me laugh in, in one sense, only because I've been doing this for so long, I can look back and think, you know, that I can laugh about it now. But, you know, you get so consumed, like, when, I know it's a repetitive thing, but that melody is beautiful. And if you could improvise that melody, like when your first chorus of a solo, you know, people would just be just so moved by that versus, you know, playing a whole bunch of bebop stuff, as soon as the melody is over, you have this beautiful thing, and all of a sudden you're just playing a bunch of eighth notes because, you know, you've practiced these lines and passages or whatever it may be. Uh, to me, all the answers are just basically what you said. Like these beautiful melodies, all these standard tunes are just filled with these wonderful ideas. And in most cases, if you look at it, um, whether it's having Miss Jones, whatever it may be, most of the melodies remain diatonic with the key center. It's just mm. the harmonic component is a little bit more, you know, it's, well, you, I was going to say, you know, it's based on secondary dominance and things like that. I don't know if I'm talking above or below no, your no, audience, just to say, just to say that, but the melodies themselves remain really consistently diatonic. Right now I'm working on, uh, the tune Triste, you know, it's the Joe Beam tune. And um, it's another example of just tons and tons of harmony, but the melody is almost entirely, totally diatonic, but it's, it's a beautiful melody. And any of us would have loved to be able to create that on the spot, improvising-wise. Mm -hmm. So that's what the audience that's about. that's really what the audience wants you, you know to a degree you, you know as well you know like um you know, depending on the audience but sort of the general public that's what draws people to music is just a great sounding melody great rhythm all those fundamentals you know what i mean and obviously you can get very advanced but if you don't have that starting point of a melodic sense to your playing then people can't understand it you know because because it, it lacks that that melodic component you know that's exactly right. And, and any, any of the people that we've mentioned, you know, um, even going to some of the horn players, including Charlie Parker and John Coltrane, they were exquisitely beautiful melodic players, you know, mm -hmm. that stuff with Johnny Hartman, with John Coltrane, it's holy, I mean, who wouldn't want to play like that? But then he has got this entire other thing that mm -hmm. he's able to draw from if he needs to, you know, based on the environment that he's in. But if you're sitting there playing in this intimate setting with uh, somebody singing in the style of Johnny Hartman, what sense would it be to make, to, I mean, to just to play these, the stuff that he does typically if he's playing with, you know, for instance, his own group or Miles doing some modal, you know what I'm talking about. It's just that mm -hmm. the having, just understanding and depth of understanding of the language of jazz that you know what's appropriate for the moment. And as you pointed out, yeah, I mean, depending on the audience, um, unfortunately, you know, in this day and age, 2023, those standards that we're playing, the people really that really enjoy them and love them, they're they're all dying. You know, that's all there is to it. So when you play these tunes, unfortunately, not many people now recognize them at, at all uh, to to an to an audience that's not a jazz audience. Um, I'm kind of getting off on a little tangent here, but just, but what you're saying is correct. There's no doubt about it. But for me, as an improviser, you know, if I'm finishing up the melody to Autumn Leaves. I'm not going to just start, all of a sudden just start playing a whole bunch of, of lines. I'm going to build into that, but there is a growth. There is a, mm. you know, that whole, I think they call it the golden ratio. Do you know what I'm speaking of? Yeah. Yeah. That whole idea of, and yeah, so it's going to, it's going to have to entail you play melodically and building and building and the rhythm section is following you. And then you come to this climactic moment and all that entails some of the things we're talking about where you, you are going to rely on things that you've practiced in lines and very, uh, not aggressive, but eighth notey, articulated kind of lines. But to come out of a beautiful melody like that, I think that to me, the most moving solos are the ones that come out of that and then continue that and build it to something nice. And to, to me, like Coltrane, George Benson, 
West Montgomery, they were all just so net did that so naturally. And, and, and to me, when I don't hear that, it seems, man, you're just, you just played a bunch of stuff that you've memorized. I'm not feeling anything at the moment right now. Mm-hmm. You're not moving me. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by your virtuosity, but after a song or two, I'm, I'm ready to go. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm, definitely yeah because music's all about communication really isn't it it's like being able to to say something with meaning and for the other person to hear it and understand it you, you know what i mean and and yeah sometimes music yep. can be very complex you know like the coltrane and stuff but it, whoever listens to that it does have an impact you know that that kind of um you know depth to the to to the to the art form you, you know that that we get with players like that so yeah completely get right. what you're saying this has been absolutely fantastic, Barry. Uh, I've, I've been really, um, I think we're really honored to, to hear your insights and wisdom on, on, on this playing. I think what I really love about our, our chat today is how you're, you're able to boil it down to really the core principles of what people should be focusing on. Because uh, it's like, uh, one of my mentors, uh, I've mentioned this actually to Cheryl as well, Vin, when we, when we chatted to her the other week, but the, the concept of signal versus noise, right? So, so there's a, there's a lot of noise out there and especially with the volume of material online now, you can like, you, you, all you have to do is type in one word onto YouTube and you'll find like thousands of different videos on, on how to do this and that, but you really got to go down to the core and the, and the, 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 the you got to find the signal in the noise. So I think Barry, you've really, um, you, you've really out line that really uh, uh, in a very insightful way today. Oh, thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, you can tell I'm passionate about all this, but you're also, you know, I'm recognizing, man, like I'm, I'm an old man now that people come up to me like the me, like a Yoda figure of jazz guitar. And I still feel like a kid inside, you know, I really, really do. So, uh, oh. anyway. Well, um, yeah, well, may the force be with you, Barry. But before we wrap up, I want to, I think we've talked a lot about your teaching today and your insights on teaching, but I want to hear some of your playing, man. All right, so let's hear some of Barry's playing now. Well, let, let's uh, have a listen to Periphery from Barry's album Resurgence. Thank you. 
once again, Barrett, really like to thank you uh, so much for sharing your insights and wisdom today um, on the show. This has been an absolutely fantastic uh, conversation we've had. So uh, what, why don't we talk a little bit before we wrap up about your, um, uh, you know, what, what you do online. So where, uh, where can people find you and kind of how can people access your teaching? Well, it's, it's really easy. It's just this barrygreen.com. We'll take you to my webpage and that will give you a super easy link to get to the teaching site. And that's, I've had that site running for about, uh, well, a long time since 2007. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of content on there, all of which I'm super proud of. And the um, most recent lessons, when I say that, I'm talking about probably in the last two years feature um, backing tracks with Ulysses Owens, who's now I think he's got three Grammy Awards. Um, just an amazing drummer. You know, as the years have gone, I've just tried to improve the quality of the lessons. And I listen to tremendous amount of feedback that I get from students about what they really would like to see more of as far as content and just ways that I can improve getting the information to them. It's been a, you know, it's been an amazing thing. I never uh, expected to see it grow the way it has, but now it's become such an important part of my life. And um, yeah, I'm just very, very proud of it. And I think, you know, it's really my initial thing was to design it for the intermediate to advanced guitar player. And I do address some of the fundamental things on the site, but it's certainly for somebody who is coming to the site with that already has some background with playing the guitar and, and a level mm -hmm. of understanding about uh, jazz. And that's, that's really it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, um, <laughs> this big shameless plug kind of a thing, but that's it. No, nah, not at all, man. No, nah, it's good. It's good. You know, it's good to put, put it out there. And, um, and yeah, you've got rave reviews online and, and, uh, and, and some fantastic content, um, uh, uh, out there. So make sure that everyone checks out what Barry has to offer. His website is barrygreen.com with a link to his online, um, training area as well. And I, I believe you do Skype lessons as well, Barry, at this stage. Yep, I do. Fantastic. Yeah, so well, well worth uh, uh, looking up Barry's website. So make sure you head over there. Um, well, th thank you once again, Barry. Is there um, any sort of final thoughts that you you want to kind of uh, let our audience know about before we wrap up today? All right, just the most cliche thing of all. I mean, if you if you have it in your heart to do this, just persevere, never give up. Don't listen to what people are saying to you. Just, you know, have that goal and, and pursue it. Like it's the most important thing ever and you will succeed fantastic all right okay so everyone go and meditate on that one this week and um <laughs> and, and and let's make some great music so uh barry uh, barry green once again thank you so much for joining us today on the fret dojo podcast it's my pleasure great meeting both of you guys thanks And for more jazz guitar lessons, tips, and free stuff, visit www.fretdojo.com. <laughs>